I think you can get the passive income, but I think people need to change their definition of passive income. If I'm not doing something with it, like you're not going to make money. Like there's not, there's really very little things that you can just like click it, turns on and it makes money and you don't have to worry about managing it at all. You've got to do some stuff. To make 10 times what I'm making now, do I have to put in 10 times the effort? If the answer is yes, then it's not really scalable. But if it's, I can put in 50% more effort, but get 10 times the return, that's pretty scalable. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the higher standard, friends. It's your host, Chris. I got to tell you, I was traveling earlier this week. I was super excited to get home, obviously to see my family, but interviewing this guest was one of the reasons. I rarely fanboy out, and I've talked to some pretty influential and high-profile people, but Dr. Lane Norton got me. And I'll tell you why. Back in the day, before social media, when I was first starting to figure out fitness and health and nutrition, he was instrumental in really changing the way I thought about those things. And to see his rise of his career over time to become what I think is really a serial entrepreneur, even though he doesn't identify himself that way, it has been really awesome to watch just from a third-party perspective and outside view. But to hear him talk about his journey, his passions, overcoming adversity, all the things that you know entrepreneurs have to do because you listen to the show, right? It was exciting. It was it was kind of exhilarating. For those of you who don't know Dr. Lane Norton, he's a renowned prep and physique coach, a pro natural bodybuilder, a pro power lifter, and has a PhD in nutritional sciences. His pedigree is way too long and his resume is way too long. You can check out his website. Plan to spend some time there, though. The man has accomplished a lot. He's, you know, he's got the educational pedigree, and he also has the physical accomplishments, which I think give him a kind of a second-to-none perspective on these things. So strap in. This episode is a great one. You may have seen him on other places like Joe Rogan's podcast or Mind Pump podcast, all podcasts that I'm a fan of. I was humbled and super appreciative that he took the time to talk to us. And now I'm sharing with you. So today, my guest is the one and only Dr. Lane Norton. I am a fan for a number of reasons. Anybody who follows the podcast knows that I'm into health, nutrition, just as a hobby and, and longevity at this point in my life. But you, uh, whether you know this or not, were the person who really changed my perspective on a, on a lot of things in the way I eat, the way I think about eating and diet in general. But your entrepreneurial journey has been really, really fascinating to watch and see you really evolve 
And I just would love to talk to you about how you got started, how you, you know, obviously got through school and how the business ramped up to where it's at today. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I don't get to talk about my business much. Usually just people are peppering me with nutrition questions. So that's great. And uh, the more I've gotten into this, the more I've realized how many parallels there are between running a successful business and being successful in your health and fitness goals. There's, there's a lot of parallels. So just kind of my background and how I got started in entrepreneurship was completely by accident, utterly by accident. There was no five-year plan, nothing like that. So when I was an undergraduate, um, I was doing my degree in biochemistry and I was very into bodybuilding. And my second year, I had started posting on the bodybuilding.com message boards. Now, I think those boards are still there today. And at their peak, I think they had like 10 million members or something insane. I mean, there was a lot of people on there who didn't even lift. They just liked the message boards. And there was a lot of trash talking back then. I was one of those members. Yeah, it was great. It was a wild, wild west. That was social media before social media existed. That's how you got to know people really in the fitness space. I started posting on there, kind of got a reputation as somebody who knew what they were talking about. I debunked a lot of kind of myths that were out there. And a few people had said to me circa like this, I'm going to date myself, but circa 2002, hey, you should really consider writing for the, the website, bodybuilding.com, the site itself. And at the time, I mean, this was a company talking about entrepreneurial journeys. This was a company that was being run out of a garage at the time by the DeLuca family. And then they ended up turning it into a half billion dollar company. And so I just emailed the guy who was in charge of content. His name was Travis at the time. And I said, hey, you know, would you be interested in me writing some stuff for the site? And I kind of gave my background. So I was doing a bachelor's in biochemistry. I had done well in bodybuilding. And he was like, yeah, sure. So started writing for them, wrote, you know, quite a few articles. Thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I got $25 in store credit for every thousand word article I wrote. <laughs> You know, it was the greatest thing in the world. And so that was putting out content. Nobody called it that, but that's what it was. You know, now you know if you're an entrepreneur, you have to produce content, you know, if you're on social media. So I was doing that before it was really a thing. And um, I would, man, I remember, you know, back with AOL Instant Messenger, I'd be on the message boards and I'd have like eight AIM windows opened up responding to different people. And I, probably get like 10, 20 emails a day of people with nutrition questions and training questions. I have to ask, at that point, did you know how overqualified you were relative to what was in your, you know, I'll use bunny ears here, your peers in that space? Did you know how, who you were yet? Well, kind of. I mean, I knew, I, you know, I was being educated, but, you know, at the time it was very much, there wasn't the same impetus for people with credentials back then. It was basically like, are you jacked? So, you know, I had so many people say, well, you know, you're not this or you're not that. And so a lot of my life has just been, what are you saying is my weakness? Okay, well, I'm going to go take care of that. So hence going and, you know, setting world records in powerlifting and, you know, winning shows in bodybuilding and then doing a PhD. But I was doing all this stuff. I was answering questions for people. And I kept doing that through my undergrad experience. And then by the time I got to graduate school, I went to University of Illinois for nutritional sciences. I had, I mean, I was writing full programs for people. I was just doing it because I loved it. I never asked for a dime from people, which is funny now. People, when I started doing this, it was, well, actually, I'll get to that. But I, when I got to grad school, I was like, really kind of, you know, I need to justify this 
for my time. And I did feel like now that I have a degree, I am a professional. I should justify this through some method of payment. And when I started out, I was charging 10 bucks a week. I'm not kidding for writing these programs. Right. And I just started doing that. And just through like sheer word of mouth, I'm not kidding. Sheer word of mouth grew my business up till about till social media came out. And then I didn't really know what I was doing on social media. I was just posting stuff that I was interested in. People were interested and vibed with it, you know? So I kept writing content. I was doing video series. I was doing all this stuff, but it was the one-on-one coaching that was kind of the, the springboard for business. And I remember, you know, like I said, I made 800 bucks my first year. I made $6,000 my second year and I'm doing gross in my head. And that's what I remember. I made 40,000 my third year. And I was like, oh, this is nice. This is like, you know, nice supplement income. And then the next year after my video series on bodybuilding.com came out, I made over six figures in gross. And I was like, oh, I can't, I came from a lower middle-class family in the Midwest. Like six figures was like, that's what rich people get. That's some old rich folks stuff. So the first time I hit that, and it's funny, I've always had this like, not imposter syndrome with regards to what I do and, and who I am and knowledge, but with finances in terms of, I always felt like, when is this going to like crash and burn? You know what I mean? Because I came from that background of scarcity. That's a lot of the way I feel. And towards the end of the story, it's unbelievable how common some of these themes run through successful entrepreneurship. It's shocking. You hear that over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just kept doing it and it's fine. I mean, I got to the point like... I was turning away probably 99% of people for one-on-one coaching by the time I was coaching was at its peak. I mean, I would charge a thousand, twelve hundred bucks a month for one-on-one coaching. And it was great and it was bad because it was great in that you usually got people who were really motivated and took it very serious. But you also at that kind of price point, you know, people, it's kind of like they expect to own basically all your time, you know. So that's not to say all my clients were like that, but there were some that were, you know, extremely demanding and I would try to meet that. And Hey, it was a, it was a great income. You know what I mean? It was a really great income, but it was also like, I was working all the time. It, it wasn't like, well, I could take a day off and go do this. Well, I could go do it, but then I still had to get to my emails when I got back or my text messages or whatever it was. And, you know, one of my hobbies is fishing, you know, God forbid I go offshore and get back and I've got you know, 20, 30 text messages or something's gone wrong, you know? So that was kind of like, it's almost like ending one thing and then starting another chapter of life. And that was right around the time I started going through my divorce. I'd also at the time, had started thinking about this in terms of like scalability. I think you can get the passive income, but I think people need to change their definition of passive income. If I'm not doing something with it, like you're not going to make money. Like there's not, there's really very little things that you can just like, Click it, turns on, and it makes money, and you don't have to worry about managing it at all. Like you, You've got to do some stuff. Yeah, and passive income in general has been so over-stigmatized by social media and the internet. It, the reality of what we think is passive is not passive in almost all cases. Right. So what you have is scalable income, to me, is what you want to look for, right? To make 10 times what I'm making now, do I have to put in 10 times the effort? If the answer is yes, then it's not really scalable. But if it's, I can you know, put in 50% more effort, but get 10 times the return, that's pretty scalable. So 
I was approached by bodybuilding.com to start a partnership for a supplement company, which was called Carbon by Lane Norton. And I also was approached by a guy to basically who said, you know, can we turn your coaching into like an automated process? And so I kind of wrote the initial algorithm for this website. And that actually just went nuts. I'll never forget. Uh, it didn't even work. Like, like the people who built the website were horrible. We had numerous instances of us getting scammed by people building our websites. What good web developers out there? If you're a good web developer, like know your worth because you're worth a lot. Just being, it's like a general contractor. If you can find somebody reliable and finishes on time and quotes accurately, my God, you're going to have more business than you know what to do with. So. That went nuts. The website didn't even work, and we still had 2,000 members who were signed up after one month. It was a recurring subscription of $10 a month. And just because they trusted, like, they wanted it so badly, and they trusted that, like, we would figure out how to make it work, and we did eventually. But about after I started going through my divorce and whatnot, I'll never forget, in a one month period of time, the carbon supplement line really didn't do that well with bodybuilding.com. I think they. Right after it launched, their CEO, Ryan DeLuca, stepped down. And then I think they really didn't know what to do with it because they already had Jim Stepani's line that was doing really well. And I I had meetings with multiple different people and it just seemed like they could never really figure out where to place it. So I lost that. And then probably three weeks later, I got called into a meeting that I thought was the meeting to talk about distributions with my partners in the the website. And it was a meeting to tell me they were kicking me out. And that month, I lost 70% of my income like that because I had kind of stepped away from one-on-one coaching and really had put more into like promoting this thing. So I guess um, if I had to learn anything from that, if you're getting into a partnership, if you don't have over 50% of the equity, you better make sure that you are protected in that operating agreement. It was not a good deal. And then they... um, I can talk about this because my non-disclosure is up. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, okay. They also uh, frivolously sued me right after that, claiming that the company I operate, BioLane, claiming that this company that I'd had for over 10 years that they explicitly said I could keep was competing with them, even though I didn't even have a non-compete clause in my contract. So they called it uh, violating my non-fiduciary, my fiduciary duty is what they called it. Extremely nebulous law. I don't want to turn it into a long, drawn-out story, but basically they sued me just so they could try to pressure me into taking less money than my shares were worth because at the time I was going through my divorce, and I didn't have a lot of liquid funds at the time because for those who have been through a divorce, you basically have to kind of freeze your finances for a while. I mean, you can go and spend money, but you're going to have to like pay it back. Like There's, there's problems with it. And your former partners probably knew that, and they probably knew what your current you know position was, and... To set the current zeitgeist, you know, you were also getting hammered a little bit on social media, which was wrong and unfair. And there was a lot of stuff. That had to be a very difficult emotional and financial journey for you at that point. Did you always know you were going to dig in and and take it to the next level? Or was that a point where you were just going to figure out what was going on and then take next steps? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, great point. You know, it was also my life was falling apart at the time. You know, I, I went through a divorce and, you know, not under the best circumstances. I mean, I've talked about it. I online. So I don't mind talking about it. I I had an affair and, you know, that became public and, you know, it was wrong. I've said it's wrong. I've 
try to take as much responsibility as I can for it. I, I can't go back in time and, and change anything, unfortunately. But, but that, that isn't your partner's you know, business. That isn't social media's business. That isn't our business. But it does frame your perspective. Yeah, my, my partners used it as kind of their excuse as to why they were kicking me out. You know. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, no. Like in the group, in the Facebook group for the company, which had like 20,000 members, they said, well, we're doing this for ethical reasons. And then everybody kind of assumed that that was it and people piled on. And, you know, I kind of knew that would, you know, that would happen. So long story short, Holly, my now wife, had moved over and we were, she basically, when she moved over, my entire life blew up uh, shortly thereafter. So like we always say, we're like, we're each other's ride or die because we've been through the shit together. And she's, she's in the same business. She's uh, another industry professional. She's got a very similar mindset to you. So collaboratively speaking, that seemed like the perfect marriage, if you will, of circumstance to launch another venture, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I can still remember us, like literally, I don't want to make it sound like I was dead broke or anything because I wasn't, but in terms of liquid money, I could write a check for, I owed more to attorneys than I could write a check for, for about eight months. And, um, you know, cause I had value in the company, I was going to get something out of it, but who knows how long it was going to be tied up in court. And, you know, I'm guessing they thought, well, if we wait them out long enough, I mean, they were making about 250 K a month in revenue from the website. And what happened was once I got, once they kicked me out, they raised their officer salaries to the point where there was no longer uh, profit in the business. So you couldn't take a distribution. Long story short, my attorneys basically outmaneuvered their attorneys and kind of put them in a position where they had to uh, mediate with us. And I'll still never forget a judge looking at the my former partner and saying to him, you need to mediate this. And if you don't, it's going to destroy your company. And also basically told him the the lawsuit that they filed against me the judge basically told them there's very little chance that you're going to get this injunction and so you need to settle this case good for you I mean it's very uncommon to have a judge that forthcoming and I think it really helps and so I mean that would have never happen had it not have been for a judge like that that's astonishing yeah, the other thing I learned about contracts is I've been in the judge's chambers where the judge is kind of like just literally just this person's opinion you can write anything in a contract. It doesn't mean a judge is going to enforce it. Contracts to me exist as a reference point so that everybody understands what the expectations are. And if there's any disagreement, you can go back to that. But a contract's only worth what you're willing to pay to enforce it. Oh, a thousand percent. And they teach you in law school as a lawyer in your first year, in your first couple of months of law school, a contract is merely a baseline and they are meant to be broken. So interpretation is nine tenths of it. Yeah. So Again, fortunately, I ended up getting what I felt was actually a, a fair share for my equity there. And um, at the same time, Holly and I, I mean, we, we basically were trying to ramp back up one-on-one -on -one coaching because I had stepped out from it, from promoting this company. And when you're not like in front of people's faces in the market with what you do, it's really hard to ramp back up. I had trouble getting clients again, or at least enough clients to make ends meet. Shortly thereafter, we kind of launched the workout builder on biolane.com, which helped us increase revenue through that website, which is basically, it's basically like um, customizable workout templates that we upload new templates regularly. And then we later released our app carbon diet coach, which basically was us trying to not redo what had been done before, but kind of 
improve on the mistakes from what I had done previously. We purposely rewrote everything from scratch because we did not want to. It's like when I write a new book, I always, even if there's similar content, I always rewrite it from scratch because I don't want to get stuck into the the same flow that I've been in before. And I'm, for the record, I'm a huge fan of the app. I, I switched from, I think it was Lose It a while back, just because it gave you that coaching accountability without having to actually check in with a coach. And you could check your macros with more of, of a machine learning perspective of what you're going to get. So I didn't have to worry about, am I going to make a discretionary decision without the education to change my, you know, my diet without knowing it. So I still subscribe. It's a, it's a great, it's a great app. Yeah. Carbon diet coach, you know, I'm very proud of it. For those who aren't familiar, basically our app uh, for $10 a month on the surface, it looks like a tracker, kind of like a, my fitness pal or that sort of thing. But the difference really is in the adjustments and the coaching. So Whereas MyFitnessPal or apps like it, and no hate to them because you know MyFitnessPal has helped tons of people, but apps like that will you put in your goal and they'll give you an initial calculation, but that just stays there. Um, so what we do is we take in a lot more metrics and we generate what we think is going to be the best you know calories, protein, carbs, fats for you and your goals, and then every week you check in with a coach, you know, based on various metrics, and those amounts will get adjusted if need be to optimize your response. So we we've had an amazing response. I mean, we I, I told my partners when we were making this, I said, um, if we don't have ten thousand members within six months, I'll give up my equity. Like that. That's how much I believed in it. Well, it only took one month to get ten thousand members. So oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty. It was pretty incredible, and and now we're up over forty thousand, so it's doing uh, really really well. And then um, we've released our supplement line, and I'm working on also. I've got a, a few short courses that I do for you know coaches, and I'm working on a really big, large, full accreditation for online physique coaching. So basically, if you want to be a physique coach, if you want to be recognized as somebody who knows what they're talking about. And actually have something behind it, you know, we'll have this like six month course that people can take to really specialize in that. Because there really isn't anything like that right now, right now. is there? I mean, is there any kind of... You've, you've got nutrition certifications, like for example, a precision nutrition. You've got personal training certifications like a NASM or NSCA or ACSM. And those have nutrition components to them, but nothing is really honed in on like body composition, right? You've got sports nutrition stuff, but we want to be body comp specific, which really to me is 99% of that coaching market anyway. So I've, I've partnered with um, a professor at USF named Bill Campbell for that. And he builds phenomenal. And uh, we're really excited. Hopefully, I'm, I actually was just working on the content before this call. And I would say we're about 75% of the way through the content. So it's hopefully, we're hoping to get it launched later this year, which would be amazing. Uh, and then uh, we're working on on our website. We've got um, the workout builder, but we're also going to add a, a monthly research review. So a kind of a periodical research review that basically is trying to take research and make it palatable for, for anybody. So anybody can pick this up and basically it's going to tell them, hey, here's what you need to know about this study that came out. Because you spend a tremendous amount of time debunking a lot of things with science on social media and I think, I mean, just my, you know, non, you know, educated perspective seems to be that people just can't really materialize these science-based explanations for things from these reports. 
they're getting bits and pieces of it that are skewed to somebody else's agenda and it seems like they're taking it in. So is that going to be a resource for you going forward, you think? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the best things I ever heard about this is people are pretty good. If you meet somebody and they start talking about a topic, we're pretty good at knowing quickly whether or not that person is more knowledgeable on the topic than we are. What we're really bad at is if two people are more knowledgeable than us on a given topic, determining who is more knowledgeable of the two. That is, so for example, if you started talking to me about finance or somebody else started talking about finance and you guys are having a disagreement, I'm going to go, I don't know. You know, like (laughs) it's going to be tough for me to determine that because I don't have the background to be able to do that. And I think what people end up going with is just what kind of aligns with their preconceived beliefs anyway. We see that in politics. We see that in business. We see that in nutrition, obviously. And yeah, I mean, I've seen, you know, in terms of debunking things, I see many parallels in business with nutrition and some of the claims that are being made, the detox and cleanses and whatnot, seven day things, the same thing is like, oh, you know, make six figures working four hours a week from your home with no money, you know, no money investment on your own. And I'm like, don't you just think that if that existed, that everyone would just do that? I spend an egregious amount of time talking people out of throwing away their money and lighting it on fire for the exact same reason. And it's funny to me that just to your point, People want that fallacy. They want that dream. I, I think in some ways it keeps them sustainable. I, I did want to touch a little bit on on your supplement line. So that that's a big accomplishment. And we just we just grows, we just walked over it. So I, I heard about you, you know, you you launching this. I was a part of the pre-order as well. You've got the pre-workout and you have the recovery as well. I mean, so how did you get into that space? Did you always know that was where you're gonna where you were gonna go uh, with the business? It sounds like a wonderful compliment to what you currently do. Yeah, so you know, after bodybuilding.com, I kind of was a little bit bitter. Now, I'm not bitter towards bodybuilding.com. They gave me an opportunity that I wouldn't have had otherwise. But I was kind of like, you know what? You just can't make money promoting these ethically. Like you just, you, you know, being evidence-based, like you've got to flare it up and make it, you know, crazy and whatnot. And so I kind of just, I don't want to say gave up on it, but I was like, I'm not really interested in starting another supplement line. And uh, I was actually like shopping around. Now, I was interested in like being an ambassador for a company that uh, would give me a fair deal and that I liked their products and I believed in, you know, but, uh, you know, I was going to have a lot of stipulations. And I was fortunate to be sponsored by Salvation most of my career before when I started my company. And that was, you know, it would have been like 2004 all the way till 2013. They were my sponsor. And they, they really gave me a lot of leeway in terms of they never asked me to do anything ridiculous. So that was great. So I was looking for a similar thing. And it's so funny how just random chance, like it really entrepreneurship, a lot of it's hard work and a lot of it's knowing when the right opportunity presents itself. It really is. And there's some luck involved. Absolutely. So I just I was looking through my Instagram messages and I go I went to the other inbox because I guess if you're you have a large following and you get enough messages that back up, there's another inbox that goes there where people you don't follow or haven't corresponded with before their messages go to. So I'm just going through and there's a, an IG message from from someone. And this guy's like, hey, you know, I really enjoyed Carbon. 
your supplement line when you had it, would you ever consider doing that again? And I was like, you know, maybe, but I'm really kind of not interested in it right now. I, you know, I, it kind of gave the same feedback I just gave you. I'm like, I'm, I'm just not sure it's, it's going to sell, you know, with the way I market things, you know, responsibly. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, I really, I actually disagree with you. I think there's a huge void in the market for it. And I think with your following and your credentials, I think you would absolutely crush it. So I said, all right, you know, and he's like, you know, I've started three other brands in this space and, you know, nothing, nothing huge, but like each is sold for, you know, over a million dollars or, you know, multiple million dollars. Um, so I've got some experience with this, you know, would you be interested in talking? And I said, well, you know, ain't going to hurt to talk. And the guy was just super dialed in, really, really dialed in. And my, and my wife, she's the real skeptic when it comes to people, you know, coming along. Cause we have had a lot of people we thought were friends take advantage of us. I mean, like really. And then when the gravy train stopped or when it was like time to, you know, separate business and personal, it was like, well, no, we weren't friends. We were a source of income and attention. Yet another very common trait among successful entrepreneurs is that friendship becomes, you know, th this very, very different thing as you become more high profile and more successful. You know, good for you guys for recognizing it. A lot of people, they just never get there. Yeah. So, you know, Holly was very skeptical, but he flew out, met with us. And after about two hours, she's like, can we get him to run our other businesses too? <laughs> <laughs> so just really, really dialed in guys. So we decided to, to do it. I just straight up told him, I'm like, I want to formulate and promote. That's what I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to be involved in logistics. You know, I don't want to manage a company, you know, that sort of thing. And he's like, that's fine. That's my wheelhouse. That's what I do. No problems. I'll take care of it. And uh, he's been just the best business partner. Really very fortunate. And uh, yeah, Outwork has, has done really, really well. I mean, it could have done better, obviously, launching during COVID. You know, real, I mean, that's the other thing is Carbon Diet Coach and Outwork both launched during COVID lockdowns, you know, where, where the this space and supply, I mean, man, you want to talk about supply chain issues. Whew. So, yeah, we've been incredibly happy with how they've done. And uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of plans for expansion. And we just uh, released our protein powder a few months ago. And we've got a few other, uh, we plan to release probably two to three other products this year as well. You know, now I'm starting to think about all the things that are going on in, in your in your world, right? There, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of what seems like strategic partnerships with people that you have a, a degree of confidence in. So how are you managing your workload? And obviously you have things you've already talked about that you want to do. And there's, there's more scalability and expansion here for you. How are you managing your time? Obviously being a dad too, it's exceedingly difficult, I can relate, to, to manage all the things that you do and continue to grow a business, which you are clearly passionate about. So this has been the hardest thing for me as a guy who did everything to begin with, has been to give up control. I, ha I had to give up, her, Holly and I, and we're still working on it, giving up control of a lot of our business. So fortunately, we hired, um, in 2019, we, we interviewed several personal assistants because we'd gone through a few that just we just weren't really happy with. And we hired this gal named Samantha Katz. And she had been a personal assistant at Estee Lauder and Tom Ford in Manhattan. She had went out on her own for entrepreneurship in the fitness space. And, you know, kind of in her words, it, it just didn't really work out. She, she wanted something where, you know, it wasn't all on her, but she could display her skill sets. And she is extremely organized, hyper-focused, you know, 
So funny, she went from being personal assistant to director of operations in less than a year. So, and one of the things, we got to a point where even with the three of us and, and our independent contractors, we realized like we've got to make hires. But we didn't really know like, where does the priority need to be? Where do these hires need to be made? And Sam had the great idea. She said, why don't we hire some business consultants who do this stuff, like who know business? And it was like, so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I've done this for almost, you know, you know, 15 years. And this never even entered my mind. Like, how dumb am I when coaching is what I do? You know, that's what I do. And I never thought it might be smart to hire a business coach, you know? So we hired a group of guys uh, called uh, Clearwater Business Associates and really impressive group of guys. Um, so, you know, older gentlemen who have just been through it, you know, investment bankers. They, uh, I think they've, you know, groomed CEOs for like Ocean Spray and um, Kraft and, and some of these other really big companies. You know, they, I think they just really liked our business because we're different than, than what they're used to uh, de- dealing with. And they've really become like an incredible part of the company. But man, after having them come in and kind of audit us, kind of their audit was, you guys are incredible. The amount of revenue you're generating is amazing. And you're doing so many things wrong Imagine once we start doing them right, you know, I mean, they didn't say it like that, but that was kind of the messaging, you know, and um, I've really come to appreciate how good companies that are able to communicate well. And I think a lot of it is you almost have to organize it like a military. You can't have the foot soldier just go straight to the general and start talking because the general, you know, he's got to focus on all this other stuff. And so really what we've done is try to clarify the lines of communication because you can imagine with all these business partners, I mean, and also, you know, just with my kids, my son is ASD and special needs. And so on any given day, I might communicate with 40 to 50 people between business partners, employees, nannies, therapists, prepare people for the home, that sort of stuff. And that level of communication with multiple people is extremely fatiguing. I mean, it makes it, and as somebody with ADHD, it's very hard for me to keep it all straight. I'll forget what I'm doing. So really what we started doing is trying to compartmentalize a lot more stuff, but it was really hard for me at first because giving up control is very difficult for me. You know, it's funny because Don, um, he's kind of our main guy with CBA has effectively come in and been like a part-time CEO. Don said to me, Uh, He's like, if you only knew how common this was and how normal what you're experiencing is, you would be way less stressed about this stuff. He's like, what you're experiencing is so normal. He said, but it's great that you've hired people because this is where most businesses get killed is going from small and taking that next step. Growth can kill a business. And so we're in that phase of really changing a lot of things in the business, making a lot of things a lot of things more automated, making sure that there's processes and procedures and and that sort of thing, all, which I'm doing none of because I am not an organized person when it comes to business. I'm the creative mind when it comes to business, and so I'm very thankful that we have you know Sam and and these guys to help us. And I think that this is going to be a really big year for us because we're getting that help and getting that coaching. 
You know, it's, it, it's shocking to me because just before we we um, we got on, I looked at social media and you posted this this thing about narcissists, and you, you said you, you felt sometimes you feel like you're you're that way. I, I'm going to spin it differently. You might feel that way sometimes because you're confident in what you're doing, but is it safe to say that you were self aware enough to recognize that you needed CBA's help, that you that you wanted to take this to the next level, and that there were other people who had those skill sets? I mean. That's not narcissism. That that's just being self aware and able to do something. So I guess my question to you is: When you went to CBA and you were having this conversation, what was your vision for growth for the company? Like, where do you see this going? So I think I got to give my wife a lot of credit. She is much better visionary than I am when it comes to business. My, my, it's so funny because we just moved into our house, and I would consider my my dream house. Congratulations, by the way. It is a stunning home. Thank you, and it's on Tampa Bay Open Bayview. You know, just I never and I was telling her, I'm like, I got emotional the first night because it's always been my dream to live on the water. I started crying at dinner and t- telling her, like, I can't believe we did this. And she just looks at me and goes, why does this surprise you? She's like, of course we did this. Look at how hard we work. Look at, you know, we're smart people. You know, we have successful businesses, you know, that sort of thing. She's like, so now imagine what is actually possible for us. Now that you've gotten over this hump of not believing that this is possible for you. And so I think she's been really great about that. And I'm starting to see it too, as it's interesting that we've actually created a business in kind of the reverse way that most people do it, which is we've built the loyal following. Most businesses have to come up with a product that builds a loyal following because people like the product. We've built the loyal following. Now we're trying to give them things to buy that they like. So, and I think a lot of influencers have this issue where they have these big followings, but they don't know how to monetize it. Now, fortunately, we have you know specific skills, a very specific set of skills that are useful to our audience. And so now we're trying to, so now we're brainstorming ways of how can we provide more value to these people and it's not going to change. Like, you know, I tell people we, we want to make money, but we believe that if we're providing a lot of value and really great products and services, that that's going to take care of itself because of our following and because how much they trust us. And we're always going to continue to put out free, free content. I mean, that's one of the things I'm passionate about is just giving it away. And I'll tell people, you know, my books and everything, you can find everything in my books you can find online for free. But I mean, good luck hunting it all down and compiling it, you know. But yeah, I I think that now after having sat down and done some vision casting with people who are, you know, do this for a living, with getting the right core team around us, and I do believe we have that, we're kind of aligned on our visions. Now we're, we're really in a position where we've been kind of pushing the ball uphill, and I think we're about to get to the top of the hill. And start rolling downhill. And I've seen this before where we were trying to get Carbon Diet Coach built, trying to get Outwork Nutrition built. And then once we did that, we kind of went up into another level of uh, you know revenue for the business. And I see that coming again this year as well. I, I think we've got a lot of stuff that's going to hit. It's going to make a big difference in people's lives. And um, you know, I think really, you know, I don't want to sound like an ivory tower person. But really getting qualified people to help you, I think that that's huge. I'm not saying that every good business coach or nutrition coach or whoever out there 
has to have a degree or anything like that. I think there are probably are good ones that don't. And there's bad ones that do, for sure. But I think the likelihood that you're going to get a good one when they have the credentials is probably higher. And just the way, so just talking to my business coaches, you know, the way they speak, it's very similar to how I speak to clients. You know, it's not, well, this is what we're going to do because this is the right, this is exactly how you should do it. It's, well, this is, there's a trade-off here. This is the plus side. This is the downside. And we got to pick what makes the most sense for us. And I'm like, man, that really sounds like what I would say to a client, you know? And you know people who are true experts in a field, that's almost always how they phrase things. It's never good or bad. It's this is what the benefits are of this, and this is what the benefits are of this, and here are the downsides, and we got to weigh the options and, and make the best call. And uh, I think the easiest thing to fake right now is being a successful entrepreneur. I really do. There is an entire racket for that right now. It's one of the reasons I took the picture and broke Instagram with the picture of my car out in front of my house. Let, let, let's talk about your car. I, I love your car. Let's give the story. <laughs> I have two cars. In total, they're probably worth about $6,000. So I have a, Nis- a 2012 Nissan Pathfinder. That's the kid toter. And I have a 2003 Oldsmobile Alero that I bought from my grandmother for $4,000. And I still drive both of them. And I'm not a car person, so it's easy for me to say. And I've got nothing against car people either. But, you know, really, when you look at the average car payment in the United States of $500 a month, and you consider that a lot of people, when they pay the car off, they go out and get a loan for another one. That's a lot of money that you could be you know, and if you're buying a new car too, the insurance is higher, the upkeep is higher. You know, it's not just that. And most people want a more expensive car, so their payment goes up too. Exactly. So, you know, for me, I only had twenty thousand dollars of debt when I graduated college, when I got out of graduate school because I was able to defer. Which is astonishing, by the way. Given your your degrees, that's amazing. That- I and I didn't have. Now I had a wealthy uncle or great uncle who matched what I got in scholarships for my undergrad. So that helped me a ton. So again, there's some luck involved here, but I never had, I never took on a bunch of debt. Uh, I, I took on debt for one car because my car broke down when I was, it was when I was like 23 and I paid it off within a year. And then I never had car debt after that. And then when I, when I got to grad school, I almost immediately paid off my student loans and I have I've been debt free since other than mortgages. I've had mortgages, um, but that's the only debt other than like a cre- business credit card and personal credit card that we pay off every month. But that, that's strategic debt, though. And for those listening, having a mortgage has got economic interest to you to be able to have pay, payment write offs and such. But yeah. Right. And, you know, you're getting a, you know, my our, you know, if you're at an interest rate of 3%, you know, the likelihood that you're gonna be able to do better than that by investing in yourself or the market or whatever it is, is, is pretty high. So I really think that that's been, I mean, our businesses, we've basically cash flowed everything. So we've never had to take out business loans or take on investors or anything like that. And it really, it helps put you in a power position of control because you don't, desperation is a stinky cologne. You know, when you, when you need money, it makes you behave differently than if you've got the cash flow to, to take care of things. I mean, we're basically in one of our businesses we're fo- we're so focused on growth that we're we're we've said we're not even going to take any distributions this year. We're just going to get we're just going to focus on reinvesting, 
And then when we get to the end of the year and we've got, you know, quite a bit of money left over, then we'll, we'll take it, you know, because for us, it's like, we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot by stymieing our growth because we feel the need to take out, you know, distributions all the time. Obviously we have to live, but I think that that's one of the big things. And one of the consultants we talked to said, most people get to a certain level of income and try to immediately jump up levels and wealth in terms of their lifestyle. And, you know, yes, we bought our dream home, but I tell people really in terms of what's changed for me by having more money, the, the, here's the differences. I can travel more. I live in a nicer place. I hire people to do tasks that I don't want to do, like cutting the yard or trimming the trees or all that kind of stuff. And I don't get stressed out about dropping a couple hundred bucks at dinner. But other than that, our lives haven't really changed that much. Like, you know, I don't buy designer clothes. I don't drive a fancy car. When it's time to get a new one, I'll get something nice. But, you know, we really, for for our income, we really try to live a, a relatively modest lifestyle. Because, our, I mean, you're looking at our hobby. Our hobby is growing our businesses and, and working out. Well, and you show an incredible level of discipline, frankly, uh, having the car and the picture that did break the internet, I think was a great, a great visual representation of kind of who you guys are and what you guys have done. And you can see the emotion in the photos. You guys look genuinely happy. So I couldn't be happy for you guys. It, it was it was a wonderful set of circumstances. I want to be mindful of your time. Get a little long. There are a thousand and one places people could find you. So if you could do me the favor uh, of telling them uh, your favorite places to send them to, and I will point out, you haven't even mentioned half the things that you, uh, the other things you've done. There's the books that, which uh, the contest prep guide, which I thought was exceptional. There's so much more to you than, than we could possibly cover in an hour. So thank you for being with us and, and please let them know where they can find you. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking, if you can mention the fitness industry, we've pretty much done it. <laughs> you know, like that's what I tell people when people ask what we do for a living, we're like, what do we tell them? Uh, fitness entrepreneurs. <laughs> so probably our hub for everything is biolane.com. But the best place to find us, honestly, is Instagram. If you go to our Instagram, they'll have links to everything we offer. So um, my Instagram is biolane and uh, Holly's is Holly T. Baxter. And when you go to those, you'll probably, it's like our digital business card. You'll you'll find pretty much everything we offer. And uh, we're, we're excited to really bring out some more like great products that are going to help a lot of people here in the next uh, 12 to 18 months. So we're very excited about the future. As you should be. And all the links to all of that will be in the show notes, including Holly and some of the companies that we spoke about. If you have anything uh, that you want to know outside of that, feel free to message us and, and we will circle back. Dr. Lane Norton, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap, and as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.